Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we are set to continue our exploration of the book of Genesis, in particular this evening, Genesis chapter 33. I do want to follow up with a question that I received yesterday out from our commentary and reflection into chapter 32 on Jacob. I had received the question, Joe, what is the significance of the name Israel? So certainly, as we have that name change from Jacob to Israel, I do want to address that question. But before I do so, I first just want to continue to welcome all of you who are not only listening live locally, but also who are tuning in by way of podcast. And wherever you might be listening to this podcast, however you might be listening to this podcast, it really is a great joy that you are taking time out of your busy schedule to be with me in this radio station. You know, I get some of these questions, and often I'm as fascinated by just not (laughs) what the question is, but where the question comes from. And by that I mean uh, geographically. So the question I had received about Jacob came to me from Canada, and it's amazing to me to think about that through technology, we can be in communication with one another all across, just not the city, state, and country, but world. Right? That is a fascinating truth that has always been a great joy for me ever since I started uh, podcasting Seeds of Truth. So, so again, thank you for taking up the task, as I know it is for some of you to uh, join me and join all those who might be listening. That No, if you are listening in Canada, there's someone else listening in Croatia or Germany or Italy, and we are joined Um, by our faith. And indeed, that is such a beautiful expression of our faith, one of the great marks of our faith that it is, in fact, universal. Okay, so to the question before I get into chapter 33 on Israel. So the Hebrew for Israel translates as, well, Israel, (laughs) okay? But it's to get underneath the Hebrew and its compound to really, I think, get at the question, because The Hebrew word Israel comes from two Hebrew compounds, Sarah or Sarah, which you know means to strive, to struggle, to contend. And this Hebrew word is coupled with the noun El, which translates as God, right? So the El Sarah can be best translated as not so much God strives as much as he who strives with God, right? So the name Israel In the Hebrew, when you take its compound transliteration, best translates, he who strives with God. I love that. Uh, Thank you for bringing this back into the conversation as I was really emphasizing the the other day, uh, yesterday with Benedict XVI, the significance of uh, the importance of names in the Old Testament, and I didn't translate Israel. Well, Well, there you have it, right? He who strives with God. Now, I want to tease this out. A little further because when you look at the significance of Israel in the Old Testament, we know that Jacob is the father of what but the 12 tribes of Israel, 
right? His 12 sons we know as the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to talk a little bit about Joseph this evening, his favored son, one of, of course, the 12 tribes. Now, the point to be had here is who and what Israel is to the Old Testament is what the church is to the New Testament. What do I mean by that? Well, if Israel made up the assembly of believers, and that's what translates uh, the Hebrew kehal, uh, the Hebrew word for church in the Old Testament is kehal, or assembly of believers, the assembly of believers were who? But the chosen people of God, the Israelite nation, right? The church, as we talk about it in the New Testament, actually is synonymous with kehal. The Greek for church is ekklesia. Ekklesia, again, is synonymous with kehal. But there is something unique going on in the Greek. Because when you look at the Greek ekklesia, you have another compound word that breaks up into ekklesia or ekkelio. The ek in the Greek is a preposition that best translates as out of. Okay, out of. Whatever denomination you belong to out there, please hear this truth because it is very pertinent to you. So ek is this preposition that means out of. The kelio or klesia best translates as to call. So generally speaking, when you hear the Greek word ekklesia, you get assembly of believers or the, the congregation of God. All right, fair, that works because that's some of what we see in the kehal, the Hebrew word for church. Some would suggest that the ekklesia simply means to call out. Okay, that's certainly closer. Uh, what's the big deal, Joe? You just said that. It means to call out. No, I didn't say that. I said out of. It best translates as to call out of. What's the difference between to call out and to call out of? Or even maybe better render, to call out from? My friends, what God wants us to see is that God has called us out of or from a former way of life into a new way of life. So you see, the New Testament Israel... You and I, the chosen people of God, have been called out from a former way of living, if you are going to call yourselves members of the church, and into a new way of living, and into a new radical life of discipleship in Christ. That's what the word church means. Now, if you were to go into the church fathers, they really draw this out, I think, quite beautifully. One of the mistakes we make today is that we reduce how we think about the church. And the church fathers would say, be careful. This is a very important word. Just not an assembly of believers or, or a congregation of God, but a word that speaks to being called out from a former way of living and into Christ. That's why we say that the church isn't just the body of Christ, but the mystical body of Christ because we are incorporated into the very mystery of Christ, you see. So we have moved from Kehal and Ecclesia, an assembly of believers, a congregation of God, to what? To be called out, yeah, but to be called out of, to be called out from, so as to be incorporated into the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ. You see the, the progression of the word and, and the fullest expression and meaning of the word? Very important. So thank you for that question, because when you look at the Hebrew word Israel, 
he who strives with God, if we are going to be true disciples of the church, we have to be what? Striving with God, contending now against the world, against the the world we once belonged to. That's what makes us Christians. All that being said, let us jump into Genesis chapter 33. I will go ahead and read up to verse 17, which more or less takes us to the end of the chapter. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And he put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. Ah, the first mentioning of Joseph who might be the purest man in all of the Old Testament. Did you know that if you were to carefully read the Old Testament, you can come to discover that everyone falls, everyone stumbles? The only person we do not have record of not falling, not stumbling, if you will, is Joseph. He was just. He was righteous, unlike any other in the Old Testament. Most fascinating. And, and could we not say here that it's pretty clear Jacob has favored not only his wife Rachel, we, we knew that, but now we are introduced to Joseph, who he also favors. And of course, we will be talking about Joseph a great, great deal. But if you were to ask me the question, Joe, where does Joseph first appear in the Old Testament? Well, chapter 33, verse 2. And isn't it interesting that uh, it would also appear that God favors Joseph? All right, verse 3, he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Why is he bowing himself? Well, as most commentaries point out, like vassals before a king, Jacob and his family prostrates themselves before Esau and lavishes gifts upon him. We saw similar language in chapter 32, verses 3, 4, and 5, right? In particular, I think 4, when we read that Jacob sent messengers before Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, listen closely, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob. So this language of my lord, this, this language of servant, my dear friends, these are titles that are at the very least implying that Jacob is surrendering his authority to his angry older brother. In effect, what you have going on there is a reversal, if you will. This reversal of the fraternal relationship set out in the blessing of Isaac, huh? which of course made Jacob the Lord over Esau and the one whom Esau must serve, quote unquote. Okay, so very important here when we start to work through this. What about the ground seven times bowing himself to the ground seven times. Why seven times? What is that an outward expression of? Why didn't he bow himself three times or five times or nine times? It wasn't just a, a random number. By bowing himself seven times, he wished to enter into a covenant relationship with his brother. We've talked about this so much. Remember that the Hebrew word to swear a covenant is shavah. Shavah. It first appears, as we talked about, in the covenant established between Abraham and Abimelech. 
So the, the phrase to swear an oath in the Hebrew, Shavah, can also translate as to seven oneself. To seven oneself is to also swear a covenant, to swear an oath. So when Jacob is bowing himself seven times on the ground, this is a profound gesture of humility and at the same time is an expression of communication to Esau that I desire to be in just not a compact agreement with you, but in reconciliation with you. Bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Okay, verse 4, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And when Esau raised his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who were these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, I beg you, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for truly to see her face is like seeing the face of God. Wow! <laughs> With such favor have you received me. Accept, I beg you, my gift that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the flocks and herds giving succor and care to me. And if they are overdriven for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on before his servant, and I will lead on slowly, according to the pace of the cattle which are before me, and according to the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, Let me leave you with some of the men who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booze for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Okay, so what else could be said to these very important verses? Well, Jacob, having now wrestled with this nameless angel and Remember, we now have this as a backdrop, just as we really highlighted Jacob's fear with Esau before the battle with the nameless angel. Now we need to keep this in mind in relationship to this encounter. Every story and episode can be best understood in light of the previous story and episode. So this is always what we're about here on Seeds of Truth, especially when we're reading sacred scripture. So having now wrestled with the nameless angel and seeing God face to face, he goes on his way. He has this sense of confidence, confidere, to be a man of faith, to be a man of trust. And this is important because as we have been highlighting over the past few weeks, Jacob has addressed this fear. He says, come what will, give me your best. You see, my friends, nothing can come amiss to him whose heart is fixed on God, whose heart is trusts God in all things. So many of us come up against a situation, a situation and a circumstance that becomes a great trial. 
and we had no doing in it. I mean, that is to say, it isn't something that we did that actually led to the great trial. And so we ask the question, God, why did this happen? God says, trust me, look at the cross and be mindful of all the virtue and all the character and the greatness of the heroic charity that you see on the cross and imitate that. Imitate my son's heroic abandonment. And this we do, keeping our eyes fixed on God. This is what we do. Remember, we have been called out from a former way of living into a new radical life and discipleship in Christ. Okay? Okay. Now, as noted, Jacob bowed to Esau, right? Which was an extraordinary gesture. What else can be learned from this alongside of what we've already said? Well, that a humble spirit can go a long, long way in turning away wrath. Do we know Esau's intent by bringing those 400 men with him? No, we at best can speculate. Maybe he did want to destroy Jacob. Maybe 20 years later, he was, a, he was still a man of wrath, a man of anger. Maybe, maybe not. But one thing we do know, either way, Esau embraced him. The point to be had here is that so often when we let our fears get the best of us, we give in to our pride. We make grand assumptions. And then we encounter that person we need to reconcile with. And because of our pride, because we say to ourselves, we know how this is going to go down, we misbehave. We say things we shouldn't say. And all that does is it leads to more bitterness, more discontent, more dysfunction, chaos, and disorder. What if we were humble like Jacob? Does not humility disarm? Maybe we say to ourselves, only if we were humble, maybe it would not have gone down the way that it did after the fact. We so often say hindsight is twenty twenty. Brothers and sisters, let us have twenty twenty foresight. And the way we can have twenty twenty foresight is if we are humble, is if we pray, is if we do what Jacob did. It could have gone down another way, but Jacob, after praying to God, then wrestled with God. And that's how it should go down. And when it does, what goes down after that will be what it needs to be. Okay. I'm just afraid we get so wound up about things we can't control that when the time comes, we have to, we have to actually encounter the thing or person we, we have to deal with. It doesn't go down the way we hoped it would go down. Pray, wrestle, fast, do the things you need to do. It'll go down the way God desires it to go down. All right. Now, much can be found in an embrace. And Esau embraced Jacob. Why? Why can much be found in an embrace? And, and why did Esau embrace Jacob? Because God has the hearts of all men in his hands and can turn them when and how he pleases. My dear friends, it is not vain to trust in God. It is not vain to call upon him in the day of trouble, as Jacob did. What do we read in sacred scriptures? When a man's way pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. What do we read in verse 4? But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. 
and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. A great sign, by the way, the falling on his neck and kissing him, a great sign of reconciliation in antiquity. So Esau receives Jacob as a brother, and much tenderness passes between them. huh? And then Esau asks a question, who are these with you? An important question, right? Who are these with you? Identify what you have brought with me. And, and I'm sure to some degree, as Jacob is responding to, to Esau's question, Esau is looking at him. He's, he's looking at his kinsmen. He's looking at the whole entourage. And he's getting a deep sense of where Jacob is coming from. All a part of just not the reconciliation process, but about where they go from here. And I say that because it's very relevant. Drop down to verse 8. And this other question. What do you mean by all this company which I met? Okay, Jacob, so you have identified who all of these folks are. What is your intention? Jacob answers, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Right? Is, there, is there any greater intention to find favor in the sight of my Lord? Did you know that the Greek word for blessed makarios literally translates as to be in favorable standing with God? So should we not seek to be in favorable standing with God? We are going to be a people of the Beatitudes. Yes, of course, that's what it's about. Live the Beatitudes and you will be in favorable standing with God. Verse 9, but Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. All is good, he says. All is good. Now Jacob pushes, he presses. No, I beg you. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Except I beg you, my gift that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. Verse 12, then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go before you. All right, so let us pause there and reflect a little. What might be important to understand here is that in the East, the acceptance by a superior is a proof of friendship and by an enemy, a proof of reconciliation. So not only do we have a seeking out of friendship, a proof of friendship, but also reconciliation. Jacob was very anxious that his brother should receive the cattle. And in Esau's acceptance, he had the strongest proofs of a good feeling being established between ultimately the two. Now, what's interesting here is that Esau proposed to accompany Jacob and his family through the country. But the proposal was prudently declined. Why might we say prudently? Listen to what Jacob says here. My Lord knows that the children are frail and that the flocks and herds giving succor care to me. And if they are overdriven for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on before his servant and I will lead on slowly according to the pace of the cattle which are before me and according to the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave you with some of the men who are with me. Okay, so what has he just done? Well, it appears that he desires to no longer travel with him. Is there some kind of disunity? Is there some kind of disharmony? No, I would say the opposite. And for this reason, I say he prudently declined. Brothers and sisters, Jacob did not need any worldly state. 
Notwithstanding the present cordial encounter and exchange, the brothers were clearly different. Different in spirit, different in character, different in habits. The one so much a man of the world, right, Esau, and the other, Jacob, a man of God. For my money and, and many others, there would have been great risk of something occurring to disturb the current harmony, right? So no, there's not any disharmony here, but harmony. And Jacob did not want to mess that up. And so he alleges a very reasonable excuse for the tardiness, if you will, of his movements. And the brothers parted away in peace. Maybe some of us look at this and say, Jacob should have pursued this relationship further. But my dear friends, God had other plans for Jacob. And we should take note of this. Sometimes God says, enough is enough, be on your way. Because sometimes those who might be so attached to the world might not be ready for the further accompaniment. Now, you've heard me talk about a great deal, the importance of personal accompaniment, journeying with people, bringing them into relationship with God. But sometimes, if it's not there, it's not there. And we, we go about that another day. God has other plans for you. God had other plans for Jacob here. There was harmony there. Let it be. Let it be. At some point, we have to say, nope, I've gone far enough, and we'll let God take care of the rest. That, I think, is what's going on here, and this we should be present to. I mean, brothers and sisters, what did we read? <laughs> on the heels of this reconciliation, it's like seeing God face to face. The presence of God was with him. He was inclined, prompted, I dare say inspired to do what he did. We can trust that because if seeing Esau and reconciling himself with his brother is like seeing God face to face, we can be assured that he was prudent. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.